Good morning. In our Sunday night sermon series of late, we have been looking at, and we continue to take a look at, some of the absolutely life-changing, history-altering, and even eternal life-transforming events that have happened around wells of water in Scripture. And tonight, uh, at 6 o'clock, we're going to speak of another one entitled The Well of Conflict, about conflict resolution, and I, I hope you'll be here for the worship tonight at 6 for that as well. As I said, a lot of life-changing events have taken a place around wells of water in Scripture. We've already looked at the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, and how both her life as well as the lives of many of the townsfolk were changed because of that conversation around that well with Jesus. We've looked at God's intervention and rescue of Hagar and Ishmael at the wells in both Genesis chapter 16 and Genesis chapter 25, and how the whole course of history in the Middle East is, was changed because of those events. And we've also, last Sunday night, looked at how the servant of Abraham recognized the industrious Rebekah as the future wife of Isaac at the well in Genesis 25 and what we had ought to learn from her example. And as I say all those things, you may say, well, what has that got to do with us? Well, it's got this to do with us. I think the case can safely be made that water water is probably the most important physical element in our creator's universe because without water there would be no new life without water there would be no life whether in the physical or the spiritual realm as far as humanity is concerned we're going to look at this, that this morning. You know, David verifies the essentiality of God-given water for new life and growth in the physical world when he writes in Psalm 65, verses 9 and 10, the following. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain for so you have prepared it. You water its ridges abundantly. You settle its furrows. You make it soft with showers. You bless its growth. Now, we all know that water is essential to life. We understand that, physically speaking. And certainly David confirms that for us, again, in those passages there, those texts in Psalm 65, verses 9 and 10. And, and you know, it's only fitting that he does that in the book of Psalms because the book of Psalms itself starts right out by using water to symbolize spiritual life. It starts right out using water. If you want to turn to Psalm 1, you can by all means. And again, for those of you that are visiting, as I say so often, turn in your Bibles to these passages, check them out. Um, the Bereans checked out what Paul said, please check out what I say. Uh, God doesn't make mistakes, but Doug does. So check this out. The book of Psalms starts right out by using water to symbolize the spiritual strength, spiritual life, spiritual growth, spiritual fruitfulness, 
that we get from God's word to produce fruit even in the worst of storms, even in the dry season, if you will. Psalm 1, verses 1 through 3, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the paths of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. What will that person be like? We'll look at the next verse. That person who delights in the law of the Lord, who, who meditates on the word of God constantly, verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That person who, you know, we know in the Psalms it talks about my soul, pants for God, like, like a deer panting for water. And, and, and the scriptures often in the Psalms and other places talk about how water is important both physically and then as a, an example spiritually. Did you know that from the very beginning, you can open your Bibles, in fact, please do, to Genesis chapter 1. From the very beginning, when God the Creator created the heavens and the earth, Water seems to be, I think you can make the case, that water was probably his favorite and most constantly utilized element. I want you to really think about that, because it's going to have spiritual implication. Water was probably his most favorite and consistently utilized physical element. For example, the oceans covers 70% of the Earth's surface, 70% covered by the oceans. The oceans contain 97% of the planet's water, and yet according to one resource I looked up, it said 95% of the undersea world is still unexplored. Water was so important in the creation story, not only in the creation of the heavens and the Earth, but water was also important to the creation of man. Modern science today will tell us that your body is between 60 and 65% water. Think about that. Modern science will tell us that our brains, we, we see the brain, you know, we see the brain in these pictures and stuff and we all know what it looks like, right? Modern science will tell us that the brain is 70 to 75% water that muscles are 75% water. The heart, 75 to 80% water. Think about that. The blood and the kidneys, 83% water. That means only 17% something else. 83% water. The liver, 85%, and, and, and we know the essentiality of blood and liver and all of those things, kidneys. In our lungs, I found this kind of ironic and interesting at the same time. Our lungs, of course, if you fill your lungs with water, you drown, but our lungs are 90% water, 90%, according to modern science. Did you know that even your bones are about 25% water? Even a newborn child, a preborn child, a preborn child begins their life in a sack of water as well. Water was so important, so crucial 
in creating physical life. And what I want you to, to see right from the beginning of this lesson this morning is how God from the very beginning began new life in the physical realm, whether we talk about the heavens and the earth or the human body or whatever, by utilizing water by working through the element of water to begin his divinely instituted plan and process for the creation of new life in the physical world. And, and more importantly even to us, how when we look at how God used water in the formation of new life in the physical world, we can see all of that as an illustration of how God creates new life using water again in the spiritual world. We take so many of those places where God used water in the physical world and, and they're, they're nothing more, well, they're something more, but, but within them we see the illustration of, of, the, of the spiritual world and how God uses water as well there. And, and that's kind of the, the point of today's whole lesson. I want for us to see that. And so as we begin this morning in Genesis 1, I think sometimes, or maybe you don't, but I have, I think sometimes we get the picture in our head that when God created the heavens and the earth, he first created the earth as this ball, globe, round thing, sphere. Then he put water in certain places on it. Maybe that's your idea. That was kind of my picture of creation. And I want to tell you, God didn't start with the land and then put water on it. That is completely backwards to what the scripture actually says. You know, you've all heard that old story, which came first, the chicken or the egg, and scientists have tried to figure this out until they can't figure it out anymore. For Christian, it's real simple. God created the chicken when he created all of the animals, and that's the end of it. So we know which came first, the chicken or the egg. It's really simple, right? You read the Genesis account, you know. I think we need to use that same understanding and just take God at his word when it comes to how he created the heavens and the earth. You see, he didn't create the earth first and then put water on it. There was water there and the earth came from it. Follow me along. In the beginning, Genesis 1.1, God created the heavens and the earth. Well, how did he do that? Verse two, the earth was without form. It was not a sphere, it was not a globe. It was without form and void. It was basically not there. It didn't have any form. It was an idea, but it had no form. And it was void. There was nothing on it. There weren't mountains. and That's not how things started. The earth was without form and void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. Now, we like to think of that deep, meaning, well, on this globe, there was this water, and God was moving over the oceans. That, that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that his spirit was hovering over the face of the waters yes but there's no earth yet there's been no land created yet it's telling us how the process unfolded the spirit of god was hovering over the face of these waters that were apparently dispersed because the earth was without form it was void it was nothing there so there's there's these waters if you will and and you say well i i'm not sure about that doug well look down in verses 9 and 10 and you will see this further validated when it says, then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place and let the dry land appear. See, there wasn't any dry land for verse nine. <coughs> land didn't come first. And then he said, let the dry land appear and it was so and God called the dry land earth. The gathering together of the waters he called seas and God saw that it was good. See, 
There are several other divinely inspired texts that tell us that the water was here first. Because the earth doesn't show up until verse 9 as it unfolds the process. Let me give you some other verses, and you can just write them down. I'm not going to have us turn to all of them. But, and again, consider water first. David, in Psalm 24, 1 and 2, wrote this. The earth is the Lord's and all its fullness, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the waters. The earth was established upon the waters, is what David tells us in Psalm 24, 1 and 2. Not the earth was here and established and God put the water on it. Psalm 136, verses 5 and 6 says, To, who, to him who by wisdom made the heavens, for his mercy endures forever, to him who laid out the earth above the waters, for his mercy endures forever. And again, it tells the earth was laid out above the waters. The waters were first. You might even consider with me in the New Testament, Peter's writing about this in 2 Peter 3. Please turn there in your Bibles. We'll come back to Genesis in a minute. 2 Peter chapter 3. No, this is not a science lesson. This is leading to something spiritual. 2 Peter chapter 3. Peter would confirm. Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3 verses 1 through 7. Beloved, I now write to you the second epistle in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willfully forget that by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of water and in the water by which the world that then existed perished being flooded with water. In all of these texts we see that the water was there first. Like Genesis 1 tells us there was this massive water that was dispersed and was there and God's spirit was moving over it and, and you can study the rest of that out on your own about which came first. I believe the scripture is pretty clear that the earth was formed out of the water and, and that sort of thing but my point is this. New life. New life started when the spirit of God was moving over the waters and God using water to create new life in the physical world that is so important not only is that important but also notice in Genesis 1 and verse 2 it's not just water alone what does it say and the Spirit of God was moving over the water what was going to create new life what was going to create the earth and all of the new life on it well how was that going to work where did it start it started with the Spirit and the water the Spirit hovering over the water the Spirit of God just waiting to create from this formless voidless mass of water that's where life began, in the physical realm. The reason I go to such lengths to make that point is because that's an illustration. That's an illustration of what happens in the spiritual world. In the spiritual world where new life begins is an act where the water and the spirit again, where the spirit and the water are working together. Jesus made this extremely, extremely clear to us in John chapter 3, 
Verse 5, Nicodemus shows up. And Nicodemus asks him a question. And in John chapter 3 and verse 5, I want you to listen to what Jesus says. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit. There we go. There it is again. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom. He's got to be born of the water and the Spirit. Two verses prior to that, in John 3 and verse 3, he said one must be born again. He's got to be born again. Then in verse 5, he explains that born again process of being born of the water and the spirit. Now, some might say, well, that means that you've got to be born of the womb water the first time and then born again of the spirit the second time. That's not what the text says. The text says in verse 3 that you must be born again. Not talking about the first time when you're physically born of, of, of womb water and come forth new physical life out of womb water. That's not what I was talking about. This being born again, the second time, involves both water and spirit. New life in the spiritual realm begins when we are born again of the water and the spirit. The only place that we see the two of them acting together in this process that brings forth new life, the only place we see that is in Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 when Peter told them. They said, what must we do to be saved in verse 37? And Peter said in verse 38, repent and let each one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Baptized in water, receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus had told Nicodemus, you've got to be born again, a process which involves water and spirit. That's how you're spiritually born again into this spiritual kingdom. The spiritual New life begins with water and spirit. Hey, sounds familiar. So did physical life in Genesis 1. That's the point. If you go back with me to Genesis 1, I want to show you something else. Something else revealed about the critical element of water in the process of providing newness of life in the physical world can be seen in Genesis chapter 1 beginning at verse 6. In Genesis 1, in verse 6, keep in mind, the earth hasn't appeared yet. That's going to come down in verse 9. But God's Spirit's moved over the water. Things are starting to happen here. Then God said, Genesis 1, 6, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. Firmament is the word used for heaven. We could go into deep Hebrew Old Testament word study, but firmament is the sky. Okay? God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the water and let it divide the waters from the waters. Thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. I can say that. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven. So the evening and the morning were the second day. Now we look at that and say, wait a minute, whoa, slow down. Something there doesn't make any sense. God's got all this water. And God said, I'm going to make this sky, and it's going to come in between the water, so there's water under it and water above that sky. That doesn't make any sense. Well, if you continue to study through Genesis, it makes perfect sense. God said, and again, read the text. Don't take my word for it. We just read verses 6, 7, and 8. God said, God's got this water. He's got this water kind of amassed. He said, I'm going to create something, and I'm going to create this firmament, and I'm going to put it right in here, and it's going to divide the waters above it and the waters below it. Now, as we think of that, we'll get to it in a minute. Again, verses 9 and 10, then land finally comes up. But I want to talk about those waters above the firmament. Those waters where God divided the waters 
with a sky stuck in between them, and some of the water was on top of that, and some of the water was underneath. We sing a song about this very thing, don't we? Don't we talk about the floods above the sky? Don't we sing about the floods above the sky? What are we talking about? It has been believed by many for a number of years that the waters above the firmament, above the sky, verse 7, is the water that is later spoken of when Noah built the ark and entered into it. These waters above the firmament, above the sky, or these, these floods above the sky, are believed to be the waters alluded to in Genesis 7, 11, and 12 when it says, in the 600th year of Noah's life, in the second month, the 17th day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep were broken up and the windows of heaven were open. The windows of heaven were open. It's believed to be that water that God knew. Did God know before he ever made us what we're going to do? Did God know? He had a plan in place before the foundation of the world, sent Jesus, right? Ephesians 1, verse 3, verse, uh, chapter 3, verses 8 through 11, yes. God knew that he was going to send that flood. Yes, he was grieved he had made man, but he knew he was going to have to send that flood. And so God in the creation, it is believed, when he put the sky in there, waters above it, he was, he was making plans because he knew what he was going to have to do in Genesis 7 and open up the windows of heaven. And, you know, it makes sense. I'm going to tell you how it makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I'm going to tell you how. If you look in Genesis 5, just before the flood, and you look at the, the people there that are mentioned in the years that they lived, if you do the math and you average that out, the average lifespan prior to the flood was about 912 years. I did the math, and if my numbers are correct, that's what it is. If they're not, it's still close to 900 years. 900 year average lifespan just before the flood when the water was still above the firmament. Then, after that, after this roof of water had come through and flooded the earth with the water that's also coming up out of the earth, what happened? With this roof of water no longer in place to shield man, to shield man from the damaging, the unhealthy age processing radiation, lifespans got considerably shorter. By Genesis 11, they're down in the 200s. Think about that. That water shield that was there that protected the food we ate, our bodies from radiation, or mankind's body from radiation and everything prior to the flood, that, lived, that allowed man to live for 900 years? If indeed that is the same water that talks about in Genesis 7, 11, and 12, how the, the windows of heaven opened up and God just dropped water down as well as having water come up. I mean, let's face it, if it were to rain 40 days and 40 nights on the earth now, if it were just to rain, would it really flood Mount Everest and all the land? Probably not, but boy, if God put that firmament, that sky in there, and he reserved all that water up there for that very purpose, which makes sense because people didn't live as long after that shield of water was removed because all of a sudden our food, our bodies, and everything else is subject to radiation, it makes perfect sense. Secondly, Speaking of Noah and the flood in Genesis 6, you can turn there if you want. It'd be good if you did, seeing as how we're up to the flood. We would notice from this Old Testament example of God's usage of water that not only did God create life out of water, Genesis 1, create new life using water in Genesis 1, but God also used water to cleanse. 
Not just to create, but to cleanse. This is so important. Not just to create new life, but to cleanse. To separate his faithful people from the sins of the world around them. God used water. In, in Genesis 6 and 7, we, we know the story. God's sorry that he made man, and he comes to Noah, and he said, I want you to build an ark. I want you to build it this big. I want you to build it this way. And we know that Noah did everything as God commanded him. He was faithful. He did it all just as God. That's why he found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Chapter 6, verse 22, I believe it is. And so Noah builds the ark, and he, he does everything right according to the instructions of God. Noah's faithful. And so then Noah and his family get in the ark, and God closes the door, right? And the, 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 the floodwaters erupt up, and the windows of heaven are opened, and all that water's coming down, and everything on earth's covered. And what happened is, as, as the rains flooded and lifted the ark, there was a sh water was between those who were in the ark and safe, and those who were on the earth still in their sins. Genesis 6, they were sinful, they didn't listen to God, they weren't believing God. So, so water separated those who were faithful in obedience from the sins of the world around them. God used that water in the physical world to do that. What a beautiful illustration that is. In fact, Peter, the divinely inspired apostle, would later use that very illustration to talk about baptism, to talk about how when we are baptized in water, there's nothing special in the water, but because of our faith, like Noah's faith, Noah did what God told him to. Noah believed God, and Noah built the ark, and he got into the ark, and, and Peter, the apostle Peter in the first century, uses that as, he said, that's an illustration of what happens with us when we, when we believe God, and we do what God said, and we, we get into Christ, and we're baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. He says, that, that baptism saves us, not because there's anything in the water, but because we're, we're doing exactly what God said to be saved. And, and turn there with me, if you would. First Peter chapter 3, turn here in your own Bibles, don't trust me. I'm going to read it from the New American Standard Version. Turn there, First Peter chapter 3. If Peter the Apostle could use this as an illustration, then I feel blessed to be able to do the same thing. But it's so interesting to me what God did in the physical world with water was just an illustration of what he does to put us in the spiritual world with water. In 1 Peter 3, beginning at verse 18, it says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all time, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits in prison who were once disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, watch the wording, were brought safely through water. Water is what separated them from the sins of their world. Water is what gave them safety as they were in the ark above the water. It was all about the water separating the sins from the saved. Look what he says. Eight persons were brought safely through the water. Verse 21, 1 Peter 3, New American Standard Version says, corresponding to that. Stop right there. 
corresponding to the story of Noah, that Greek word translated corresponding means something formed after a pattern, a thing represent a resembling another, or its counterpart. That's what that Greek word corresponding to that means. He's just talked about people brought safely through the water in the physical world in the ark, and he says, corresponding to that, or according to that same pattern, or according to that, to that same thing, its counterpart, corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Is that what it says? Is that what it says? Joel, is that what it says? Okay, just check. Now, there are other things that save us too, our faith. Noah's faith saved him, right? Because Noah believed God, credited him to righteousness like Abraham, and he did what God told him. So faith is a big part of that. And he, and he took action on his faith, but, but that doesn't change the fact that the water was the difference maker. And when we believe, I know it's easy today to say, and I, and I know folks have said before, baptism's got nothing to do with salvation. Listen, all I got to say to that is I, I'm not here to pit my opinion against somebody else's. I'm not here to pit my preference or opinion or mindset or conclude. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not gonna fight with anybody. I don't have to. What does the word of God say in 1 Peter 3.21? Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. I don't have to argue with anybody. I'm not gonna. You can say it don't until you blue in the face till the day you die and meet God, but God said it does. That's important. But the beauty of that is, Peter said just the same way. This saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh. There's nothing in the water. But the pledge of a good conscience toward God, verse 22. What does that mean? It means I did what God told me to to be saved. That's what it means. Listen, if you do what God tells you to be saved, can you have a good conscience? Can you? Yeah. If I know I've obeyed God, that's all that matters. Wow. God did some incredible, incredible, incredible things with water. The Apostle Paul put it this way in Colossians 2.12. He said, we are buried with him in baptism in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God. We're raised through faith in the working of God. Are we saved by faith? Absolutely. We're saved by God's, we're saved by faith when we trust what God said. We are raised up out of the waters of baptism through faith, Colossians 2.12, in the working of God. Because we trust God, because we trust what God said. I tell you, I got a $100 bill and I'm going to lay it here and I show it to you and the first one up here to get it can have it. Probably one of you is going to move. You're going to take action on what I've told you because you believe me and you can see it. That's what Noah did. He just took action on what God told him to, even though he hadn't seen the flood yet. Even though we haven't seen heaven yet, we need to take action on what God told us. Baptism now saves you. That means I'm going to be baptized for the forgiveness of my sins because that's what it says in Acts 2.38. There's a third thing we see when it comes to God's usage of water in the physical world in connection to newness of life. You know what else God used water for besides creating new life and besides cleansing from sin? There's something else God used water for in the physical world. God used physical water to separate or set free those who were slaves from those who had enslaved them. Again, we know the story. It's in Exodus 13, if you don't know the story. Moses leads God's people out. They've been slaves in Egypt. And 
God, uh, Moses leads them out, and they're there by the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's army show up, going to slaughter them, they're scared, and Moses holds his staff up, and the waters part. And it's estimated by some that as many as a million or more people walk through, and the Bible says on dry land, but how many ever there were, the Bible doesn't tell us, but they walk through on dry land, they get to the other side, they turn around and they see, they see the, the chariots and they see the army coming. What happens? Right? God destroys Pharaoh's armies, right? With the water. What did God use the water for? God used the water to separate or set free from slavery from those who had enslaved them. That's in the physical world. God does the same thing. That's just, a, that's just an illustration. God does the same thing in the spiritual world. That just, that just shows us what God would later on do in the spiritual world as well, and he'd use water to do it. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6. Set free from slavery people that were enslaved, from those who had enslaved them. Yep. That Old Testament physical story in the physical world it's just an illustration of what would happen later on in the spiritual world. In Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 16, watch this. Watch how God still uses water to separate or to set free those who are enslaved. Romans chapter 6, verse 16, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine or teaching to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Okay, I can see it. I can see what he says. You were, you were set free from sin when you obeyed from the heart that teaching you were given. And that's when you were set free. What was that form of teaching? Well, it's exactly what he's been talking about since he started the chapter. It's exactly what he talked about from the first four verses. Look at with me in verse 3. Actually, we'll read more than the first four verses. Verse 3. This is the form of teaching that they were delivered. And when they obeyed from the heart this teaching that they had been delivered, they were set free. Well, what was the teaching? Verse 3. Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore we were buried with him. Notice that baptism is a burial. It is not anything other than a burial. It is a burial according to the word of God. Therefore we were buried with him through baptism into death that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in what? Newness of life. This is where newness of life begins in the spiritual world. When we're baptized in water, when we're buried. And we go through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. We go through that symbolic death, burial, and resurrection. And we're raised up to walk in newness of life. That's what it says. We come out of that water, born again of the water and the spirit. We come up out of that water and we walk a different way. We don't walk the way we used to walk. He goes on to say, for if we have been united together, verse 5, in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. When did that happen? That happened, Paul says, in verses 3 and 4, when you were buried with him in baptism. Water baptism. 
Now, if we died with Christ, that is in that manner, verse 8, we believe we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Death he died, he died to sin once for all. The life he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. If you read all of Romans chapter 6, you'll see it begins with the doctrine or teaching of baptism and the essentiality of it. Rising up to walk in newness of life, and that's where you're set free from slavery. If you read all the way to the last verse, verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 22 says, You've been set free from sin. Verse 20 says, You were slaves of sin, now you're free. I mean, how many times does the word slaves and set free occur in Romans 6? Quite a number. If you go through and read the whole thing, there, there's multiple times. Why? Because Paul is making a point. Just as God in the physical world used the water of the Red Sea to set free his people from the Egyptian slavery that they drowned in there, God also uses water in the New Testament when we obey from the heart that form of teaching which he's laid out right there, not Doug Dingley's teaching, not that church's teaching, that church's teaching, Church of Christ, no. What it says right there in Romans 6, God's teaching. It's the same thing. And once again, water. Water, water, water. What a wonderful thing is water. No, I didn't practice that. Fourthly and finally, something that we can't afford to miss is the fact that blood, don't miss this, from the Old Testament physical world to the New Testament and our spiritual existence, don't miss this. Water and blood are often tied together inextricably. What do I mean inextricably? It's a big word, it means you can't take them apart. When I mix up a cup of coffee, an instant coffee, and I put coffee in it, and I put sugar in it, and I put cremora in it, and I stir them all together in hot water, I can't say, hey, wait a minute, let me take those apart again. They, they, they don't come apart. They're inextricably linked. They are forever linked. You can't, I, I can't take a spoon and, and separate them. Well, blood and water in the Bible is the same thing, both in the physical world, where it's used as an illustration, that we can see the spiritual world truth. Let me, let me show you this. We know from Exodus chapter 7, what was the first plague marking the new beginning for God's Old Testament people? We all know what the first of the ten plagues were, right? Turned water into blood, right? The Nile became like blood. It was everywhere. Everywhere there was water, there was blood. They couldn't just say, hey, let me take the blood out of the water. Because the water and the blood, it was all, I mean, it, it turned to blood. Water and blood are often seen in both the physical and the spiritual world as linked together. When the Roman soldiers pierced the side of Jesus, what came out? Blood and water. John 19, 34 tells us this. And look with me in your Bibles in 1 John 5. 1 John, way up near the end of your Bibles. Way up by Revelation and back a couple of books, a couple of three or four books. 1 John, turn with me to chapter 5. We see blood and water linked together in the Nile, way back in the days of Moses, the first plague, when the beginning of this, this new ministry where he's going to set his people free. We move up through all those hundreds of years. We get up to the New Testament. We see the side of Jesus pierced. We see blood and water come forth. And we get way up to the other end of the New Testament. In other words, we span the whole Bible and blood and water work together. 
In 1 John chapter 5, notice verse 6. This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. Not only by water, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who bears witness, because the Spirit is truth. There are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one. And there are three that bear witness on the earth, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and these three agree as one. They work together. They support one another. They are inextricable from one another. What happens when we're baptized in water for the forgiveness of our sins because of our faith in what the Bible says? Is that not where we contact the blood of Christ? Yes. Yes. And so seeing how important water was in the Old Testament plan of God, it really shouldn't surprise us that when Jesus came, when God in the flesh came in the New Testament, nothing had changed. Do you know what an emphasis there is on water as far as Jesus is concerned? I mean, we know Jesus is God, and God used it all the time. But in Jesus' ministry, Jesus is always doing something with water. Did you ever think of it like that? He's either calming it, walking on it, turning it into wine, which was the first miracle of his new ministry, or he's helping others take fish out of it, or multiplying fish from it. Consider this, just the Gospel of John. I'm going to go through this real quick. Chapter 1. When the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus, he was in womb water. John 1. John 2. First miracle marked the beginning of his new ministry, water into wine. John chapter 3. Nicodemus shows up. He tells him that you must be born again of the water and the spirit. First three chapters of John, water in every one of them, playing an important role. But let's move on. We're about John chapter 4. Samaritan woman at the well. He said that he'd give her living water. Something that we would see again in John 7. John 1, John 2, John 3, John 4. Oh yeah, John 5. Man at the pool, pool in Bethesda, waiting for a new start after 38 years, uh-huh. First five chapters of John are all about water. Chapter 13, one of the most incredible, incredible scenes in all of the Bible, Jesus took a basin of water, washed his disciples' feet and said, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have that kind of love for one another. And of course, John 19, water, blood poured out of his side. What's amazing to me is that so many times the scriptures talk about God doing things through water and with water only serve as beautiful illustrations of what his divine plan and process calls for when it comes to what he wants to do for us in the spiritual world in the waters of Christian baptism. His creating new life was through the water and the spirit in Genesis 1. Reminded of how it takes the water and the spirit to be born again in John 3. Mindfully used the water to separate Noah's faithful family from the sins of the world and how baptism is how he uses water to save us and wash away our sins. Mindful of his usage of water in the Old Testament to save his people from slavery, to set them free. And as we've discussed this morning in Romans 6, how he does that for us, we're mindful of how the water and the blood work together just as they do in Acts chapter 2. When one is baptized in water, he comes in contact with the forgiveness and the salvation and being set free from sin by the blood of Christ. There's so many other places we could talk about about water. Maybe there'll be another sermon, who knows, but 
Naaman the leper, when he went and dipped the way God told him to in the place God told him to for the reason God told him to, guess what? God cleansed him like he said he would. We could talk about how the Old Testament priests could not enter the presence of God until they washed in Exodus 29 and 30. Neither can we. Acts 22, 16. But the final text I want to leave you with this morning as we close is in Acts 2. And I'm going to ask everybody to turn there. I don't care if you can get it memorized. If you can quote it word for word from four different places, four different translations, please still turn there. Jesus has died, spent 40 days with his disciples, gone to heaven, sent the Holy Spirit to direct them into all truth. Peter stands up that day, preaches the first gospel sermon. He gets done with telling these people who had crucified Christ, hey, you're the problem, you crucified Christ. Their response in verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Hey, care to guess what the substance is God's going to use? <laughs> Water. And Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness or remission of your sins. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is to you, your children, to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Notice that just because they were cut to the heart, just because they believed him, they still weren't saved. They were cut to the heart. What are we going to do? They really believed him, but belief alone was not enough. He tells them, you've got to be saved. Then verse 41, those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. It is amazing how when God could have used any system or any substance in his universe to start life, to create new life, to save life, to cleanse life, or to set a life free from slavery, God chose water, physical world or spiritual world. And every scriptural example in the physical world only points to his consistency. God is a God of patterns in the spiritual world. The only thing in the universe that is perhaps more amazing than that is how somebody can miss what God said. The pattern is there. God didn't get to the New Testament and say, hey, I think I'll completely change my personality. Malachi 3 in verse 6 tells us God doesn't change. And the favorite substance of the Old Testament that he used to do all of those wonderful things is the same substance he uses in the New Testament to separate us from sin, to save us, to cleanse us. It's all there. I want to encourage you this morning that if you've heard something that sounds strange to you, let's sit down and have a Bible study. Let's just look at what God said, not what Doug said. If you've come to the point this morning that you know you need to be baptized specifically for the forgiveness of your sins, the New Testament says there's one baptism. There's only one. We can talk about that, or you can be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins this morning if you want to repent and change your life and turn to God and confess Him as Lord if you truly believe that. Maybe you're somebody with us that's done that, and you said, hey, I need the prayers of the church because even though I've been baptized, I'm weak, I'm not growing, I'm not doing, whatever it may be, I'm struggling. We stand ready to assist you now as we stand and sing.